We may not know how, but we know why. It's because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We're going to make it. Amen. Oh, if you, know, if you know Jesus loves you, can you bless him one more time? Hallelujah. Thank you, band. You guys are awesome. You may be seated. I was about ready to start singing and worshiping again. The Lord was like, no, just go to preaching because I was going to keep you guys here for another half hour. Oh, Jesus. I try so hard. Oh, Lord. I still feel it. I get all gospel in those moments. You give me a guitar, I go back to rock and roll. But when I hear the keyboard, I'm feeling it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got this new rap song I'm coming out with, man. Get ready. On God, I'm on God. Oh, wake up in the morning and I take that clock. On God, I'm on God. Man, I'm just going to write it right now with you. Get you a little cameo on there. On God, you guys happy to be in church? Seriously, man, I'm happy to be here. Open up your Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs as we get to our notes. But have your Bibles open as we do these uh, uh, slides here so that you can follow along. Proverbs says that without a vision, people perish. Proverbs 29, verse 18. And what I would like to talk to you today uh, for the next few moments about is having a vision for the new year for your church and for your life. The vision that you have for your church and how you grow spiritually should affect you everything else that you do in life. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his right righteousness, and then all these things will be added after the words. All these things will be added to you. So if God comes first, who's next? Come on, if God comes first, who's coming next? Us, his people, amen? The Bible says if you seek him, think about it, if you seek God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you're after God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto who? You, let me just go there, just slide over there and go to the Bible. We're not ready for Proverbs yet. Matthew 6, 33. Little Joycey, will you come up here, please? Let's give it up for little Joycey as she comes. She's not in trouble. She's doing amazing. Here she is with her pigtails and her unicorn. You know the joke about the unicorn, right? No, nobody heard about Noah's Ark? Oh, this is a lesson on not being late because the unicorns were late to the ark. They got left behind. So there used to be unicorns, in other words. And Noah told them to come get on the boat, but they came late. You all get it now? And they missed the boat, so don't be late. Come to time. Come to church on time. Amen. Half kid there. Okay. Do you love Jesus? Yeah. Okay. Now, everybody watch this. When she puts God first, who's next? She is. See, God does not want little joy to give, her, to give him her best just so that she can be tortured in life. See, I want you to think about it. When joy puts mom and dad first and she lists in the house, you know, by following the rules, and she follows the rules, don't you think she's next and she gets blessed? Do you like when mom and daddy give you ice cream and treats and all types of fun stuff? Mm -hmm. You like staying up late and having fun time watching movies? Yeah. All right, let's give it up for Joyzy right here. Because after we put God first, what does he do? He takes care of us. When we give God our tithe, what does he say with the other 90% we have? Hey, you're just on your own, figure it out. No, God blesses the rest. When you put God first, he blesses you. Look at it. But seek first his kingdom. Somebody say his kingdom. 
Thank you. Not your job, not your promotion, not all those things you want. Seek first his kingdom and whose righteousness? His righteousness. So we do the right thing. Righteousness is just right living. It's how you live right. It's the right thing at the right time, saying the right words, acting the right way. That's righteousness, okay? So don't get it twisted. Wickedness is doing the wrong thing in the wrong way at the wrong time. So when you seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, all these things will be given to who? To who? To you. Point to where there's a you in this place right now. You, me, all of us, right? Here we are. So that's why the Bible says that when we seek him, we're blessed. It says that because as we do it, he takes care of us. It's uh, it's all about loving God and loving people, and we're part of those people. Amen? Okay, so going back to our notes here, we got to have vision for this year. You've got to put God's kingdom first. What we're doing right here has got to put first. Now, uh, brother, would you get them praying at the Declaration of Independence, please? Now, when sometimes we talk about having a vision, people think, oh, pastor, you're just talking about spiritual stuff, you know, or, you know, like stuff I, I can't really judge, you know, from the external, like a paycheck or something. You're talking about being nicer, and who, who really knows that, you know, or just having more friends or something superficial, being able to be more uh, present in church, like shouting louder. No, when I'm talking about having vision and putting God first, I'm talking about about you can put on this. Somebody say, on God. Come on, on God. I'm talking about on God right now. You can put a nation on God. Now, I'm going to show you some white people in wigs, and you're probably going to be like, these privileged white devils and messed up slave-owning folk and all, and and there may be a lot of truth to that. But let me tell you one thing that they understood. If I'm going to build a nation, I better put it on what? On God. I better pray because I'm about ready to take on the largest nation in the world. How many know they got wigs, some of them own slaves, some of them, you know, they're not right. But how many know they knew to put something on God before they went to the war and went to war with England? You see, that's what's up. And remember, I was going to talk to you guys about the Black Robe Regiment last week, and I didn't get to it. Put up the Black Robe Regiment right here. What? What? Anybody know about the Black Robe Regiment during the uh, uh, Revolutionary War? I'm going to learn your son right now, as they say in Cajun. I'm going to teach you son. You're going to learn son right now. Y'all ready for a little land yet? Little son extra, extra in church? The Black Robe Regiment were the pastors who on Sundays wore their black robes and then on Mondays put a shotgun in somebody's chest and said, get off my land. This is America. We free now. And what the uh, the English, what they said was the number one thing we hate about those Americans is we hate those pastors because they're leading their congregation against us in war. They're organized and they're using the pastors. And they were known as the black robe regiment. So we were, we were hated back then, we're hated now. Same thing during the Civil War. Who was leading up the Civil War? Who were the first abolitionists? If you've been here for the last couple of weeks, who were the first abolitionists? Muslims, Hindus, or Christians? Man, you all said that so weak. So weak. Now, the history of the Black Robe Regiment. The Black Robe Regiment was the name that the British placed on the courageous and patriotic American clergy during the founding era, a backhanded reference to the Black Robes they wore. Significantly, the British blamed the Black Robe Regiment for American independence, and rightfully so, for modern historians have documented there is not a right asserted in the Declaration of Independence which had not been discussed by the the New England clergy before 1763. So you all learning something right here? Somebody say vision. Go back to those men bowing on their knees and praying. Go back to that picture, please. That's what you need to do. You need to pray. What are you building this year? What are you building? Man, you want to build a family? Go on your knees and pray and get a vision. 
You need to have a vision of what God can do in your life. You can put a nation on God. I was talking about this with my kids as we were doing family devotions, and the Bible says that Jesus taught them, whatever you hear from me and you're, you, you, know, you put it into practice, you're like a wise man who built their house on what? Rock. Somebody say the rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine doesn't put it into practice. It's like a foolish man. And you know what Mr. T said about the fool. What does he do with the fool? Pity the fool. I'm keeping his memory alive. I mean, I know he's still alive, but nobody talks about Mr. T anymore. I pity the fool. But listen, listen, you pity a fool because what are they doing? They're building on sand, the Bible says, and when the storms come, it wrecks their life. Could it be that one of the reasons why God blessed us to win a war against the mightiest nation of that time is because we had a vision that God wanted us to be free from the Church of England and from the King of England? Can I hear an amen to that? Go to Thomas Jefferson's letter from uh, Danbury Baptist. Separation of church and state came from Christians, not from Muslims, not from atheists. It came from Christians. The reason why Christians wanted to be free from the Church of England is because they were telling Christians how to read their Bible, how to go about things, and we didn't want a government controlled by the church. Can I hear an amen? Excuse me. When we look at the scriptures, we see that every person in their own conscience has to make up their decision, not because they have to. Every person here needs to be thankful that we do not have a church-state religion. Can I hear an amen to that? You need to be happy today. A state, a government is not forcing you to do their religion. And today they are doing that in Islamic countries. And so that is happening under Sharia law in different nations. You can study about that. And it's very true that if you apostatize from Islam, according to the Quran in the Hadith, you will receive the death penalty. That is not something we make up to make Islam look bad. That is the truth of Islam. But how many know in Christianity you have a choice? If you want to go to hell with the devil, you can Come on, somebody say amen. It's the same choice in the Garden of Eden. That's up to you. But understand this. When you look at people who had vision, these people transformed the way we look at society today. There's a reason why you're not under the Church of France, of England, or of any other place today, why you have freedom of religion. Here, this man, Nehemiah Dodge, these folks, a committee of the Danbury Baptist Association of Connecticut, wrote Thomas Jefferson. And then now look at what Thomas Jefferson writes them back. Everybody say this is review, please. Amen. Because we went over this last week, but I just want to go over it again. Believing with you. Somebody say with you. See, this is Thomas Jefferson saying, gentlemen, believing with you that religion is a matter which solely lies between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or of his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions. I contemplate with sovereign reverence that the act of the whole American people which declared that their legislator shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Remember, that was Christians writing that, many of them, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Thus building a wall of separation between what and what and who came there who did that come from who's the you here christians dansbury baptist amen and they put up overland college one more time in review this is just a little healthy summary of history because vision can change your world vision can change the culture you live in the way they dealt with slavery the way they dealt with uh, churches trying to control them is the way we can deal with transgenderism right now how many believe that how many believe we can deal with Cardi B and WAP like this right here? you got to have a vision. Otherwise, they're going to give you their perversion and their vision. They're going to give you their version of a vision, and it's going to be a perversion. we got to give this culture the vision of Jesus. Now, we're going to let people make a choice. We're not going to force our religion on them, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to show them that our way is the better way. Amen? And you can't be showing people the Christian way is a better way while you yourself are getting pimp slapped and defeated by the devil.
Nobody wants to follow a loser. They want to follow a winner, get them dubs. Come on. I'm not even keeping over the Super Bowl, but is that happening sometime or has it happened? It is happening today, next week. A couple of weeks, right? A couple of weeks. How many know there's going to be a winner there's going to be a loser? How many know in that stadium there's going to be some people shouting, other people are going to be crying? I mean, let's keep it real. Come on. And that's what judgment day is. Everybody's shouting out, oh, me, oh, my, when he comes back on that white horse. And I'm shouting out, oh, yes, oh, yes, amen, and amen. It's just like that, my brothers and sisters. And how many know in this culture, they got a vision for what they want to make America be? How many know people on the block got a vision for what they want to make your, your neighborhood to be? How many know there's a vision for what they want your job to be? How many know colleges have a vision for what they want that university to be? But we need to go back to when we were controlling stuff in the godly way. Now, some people say, well, what about all the slavery stuff that was going on? Look at this Bible college. Started right here in 1833. It says it's the oldest co-educational liberal arts college in the United States. That's about 30 years before the Civil War. And the second oldest continually operating co-educational institute of higher learning. That means for male and females, okay? Now, look at this right here. In, in 1835, Oberlin was the first college in the United States to admit African-Americans and in 1837, the first to admit women. Can I hear an amen for some women? That was before the Civil War. So how did that even happen? How did the Civil War even happen? Christians had a vision of all men being equal. They had a vision for that. that that's what made them want to go out and do something. Or as I like to say, put a cannonball in somebody's chest and say, Lose, let Kuta Kinte go or say hello to my little friend. How many know that's what the Civil War was? You're either, either letting Kuta Kinte go or you're going to have a cannonball in your chest, Bubba. And how many know that they had to come to that? And how many know the Bible says there's a time for war? Amen. I said there's a time for war. Okay, now just scroll down. Just scroll down here a little bit. Now notice this right here about the history. It was preceded by this institute, so it was even before that, where the college founders wrote voluminously and were featured prominently in the press, especially in the what? The abolitionist newspaper, the what? The Liberator. Now notice this. Go on down. We went to Charles Finney, one of the best uh, preachers of that time. Notice this right here. It's immediate background. Now notice this. The immediate background of what? Women being educated in college. African Americans being treated equal. It's immediate background was the wave of Christian what? Christian what? Christian revivals in the western state of New York, which Charles Finney was very much involved in. And I dare you to read lectures on revival by Charles Finney. So do you think some stuff in church changed the world? Do you think what we're talking about right now can change your world? Amen. Find the most appropriate gay pride uh, slides you can find. I don't want to see anybody in thongs, okay? But find something. I want an image in people's minds right now because this is what we're battling with today. I'm not saying it's equal or the same kind of thing. I'm just saying we got our thing to deal with. How many understand what I'm talking about? We got our racism. We got our classism. We have our political corruption. And we got to deal with it in this culture. And we've got to have a vision. So, brothers and sisters, I'm going to be moving on to another portion of our sermon series after this week, Lord willing. But I really want to make sure I summarize and say all that I felt the Lord wanted me to say in these few weeks here so that you get it. We are not playing make-believe. When I'm talking about vision, I'm talking about y'all having a vision for Belmont and Clark that is bigger than what they see right now. 
What Belmont and Clark thinks they need is not what they really need. We got to help them see a different vision. The Bible says in that passage in Proverbs that without vision, people perish. Somebody say they perish. Amen. And the Bible says in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever does not believe in him shall also what? Perish. There you go. This is their vision for what they want. That's what they want. They want to see this spread all over our country. Now, do you have a vision different than this? I do. Now, do we, do we force them to become straight and pray the gay away and lock them up? No. Do we do them like that? Yes or no? No. We, we love them and we pray for them. This is not something that brings us to war against them. Now, find me a picture, and this is going to be, for anybody who has children, it's going to be coming up. Show me a picture of an aborted fetus. Not only do we got to battle the LGBTQ, we got to battle abortion. Many states have outlawed it, but states like Illinois have not outlawed it. How many know it's important that we don't murder our children, but we adopt our children? There are people all over the world right now ready to adopt. In the United States of America, there's over a million families ready to adopt newborns right now. We have people in this family that work with the foster care, safe care families, but everybody understand that. That is a different system with a different set of problems. Newborns are wanted right now on a list of a million people. The reason why foster care is a mess, and we don't want to judge that and make people feel bad for being in it, but the reason why it's a mess is because it involves three parties. The government, it involves the family that's hurting because they're not putting up their children willfully at that time for adoption, and the ones that are trying to help. And when you involve that many people into a system, it is not always going to be the best. But we as Christians should be there to help and to be a part of it. Can I hear an amen? As we have in this church, and the ones that are going up for adoption, talk to them about because you got those three things. You got them wanting to the parents not wanting to let go of them yet, and the government saying you're not capable of being a father or mother, and you got all this fighting going on, but you have the people wanting to do it. So there's organizations that are middlemen in between them, and we work with them, like sake families. You can look that up here in this area, where they're, they're saying, okay, mom, dad, you don't have to give it up for adoption, but at least let them be in this, in this person's home for a while, because we've tested them, and they're going to make sure that that family is safe. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So as we're putting this next slide up here, I want everybody to see it, that we're not just here just making stuff up. We're actually here to save babies. When we go out and preach in front of abortion clinics and we've already seen 30 children saved, we're saving them from the horror about what you're going to see on this picture. So if you've got any little ones, you can tell them to turn away. My kids can look at it or not. It's up to them because they've already seen it before. But sometimes we're on the streets and we'll show them the aborted baby, and then they'll be like, man, you shouldn't be able to do that. And I'm like, they shouldn't be able to actually do the act. They want to take away the right of us putting up the picture of the baby to show what an aborted fetus looks like. And fetus just is Latin for a young offspring. That's all it means. It's just the fetus. Well, fetus means young offspring in Latin. Thank you very much if you're speaking that language. But how many know that was a human person right there? I said, how many know that was a human person? So I talked to people that want to deny one of those two aspects. Number one, it's, they say it's not human. It's a parasite. Well, do you know science? Science says from the moment of conception, what kind of creature is it? Is it an alien creature? Is it a dog creature? According to its DNA, at the moment of conception, what kind of creature is it? It's a human creature. And then they say, well, it doesn't have personhood. Well, that's what they said in slave times, that the African-American didn't have personhood. Look up human zoos and what they did to them and how they would put the aborigines and the, the pygmies and these different tribes, and they would put them in there, and they would treat them as animals because they didn't think they were persons either. So then I asked them, when does a person become a person? At how many weeks does a human become valuable? Well, if they believe from the goo to the zoo to the you, everybody check this out. Evolution teaches you never become a person. So the very first thing I want to ask is if you're using the personhood argument is are you an evolutionist? Because if you are an evolutionist, you do not believe we are different than our matter. So if we only are matter, then we don't matter. Does everybody get that? If you are only matter, you don't matter. 
Because how do you say one, one, like you can eat a dog, but you can't eat a person? You can eat, you know, matter is all just the same amount because you should be able to eat each other. You should be able to do whatever you want. And, and so if we're matter, we don't matter. So if you're going to say you're an evolutionist, how do you know the difference between a human person and an ape like ancestor or any kind of animal? The reason why Christians, everybody listen, have an argument against the abortion based on person is because we believe we are souls in bodies. And souls and bodies do math and science. And souls and body do art and all of these beautiful things. Souls and bodies do that. So now the question is, when does the soul get into a body? Well, the Bible says at conception, even before that, in your mother's womb, I knew you, he says. So he knows about us, and then at that moment of conception, he puts us in there. And then the Bible says, go to Psalm 139. David speaking in the personal pronouns of me and myself and I. He says, you formed me in my mother's womb. So sometimes people call this the ghost in the machine. I got another song coming out like that, the ghost in the machine. You're going to have to get on that one too, bro. It's a good one because everybody talks about the ghost in the machine. But there is a ghost in the machine. It's our spirit, and it comes from the Holy Spirit. Now notice what David says right here. For you, notice this, created my inmost being. See, you notice that the soul has an inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So according to those who believe in souls, when does personhood start? At the moment of conception. If you don't believe in souls, then how do you believe in personhood? Understand this. I will argue this in front of your college philosophical philosophy professor. Your pastor doesn't make up stuff here. Okay, I live in the real world. I debate this all the time. I'm telling you the truth. If you are an evolutionist and you say, I don't believe in the personhood, so they become persons at birth or whatever. No, you're just making that up now because you have no definition of a person other than matter. We have a definition of a person as a soul. Do you get it? So now they'll say, well, they don't become a person until they talk. So then we say if a person is then they're not a person. Do you get my point? It just falls apart. They're not a person that they can take care of themselves. Okay, so you can abort a child, a murder child after being a year old because they can't take care of themselves then. Can I hear an amen from many moms? Do you get my point? They're, those who believe in evolution will point to some random effect of matter and call it a person. But according to their true scientists, according to their Richard Dawkins, according to their, to their atheistic neuroscientists like Sam Harris, humans never become persons. They're only molecules in motion. Can I hear an amen from anybody that studied this knows I'm not making it up. I am not making this up. Alex Rosenberg, Google him and put him up there, please. Alex Rosenberg, at the end of his book, The Atheist Guide to Reality, says the biggest illusion that atheist people believe is that they are a person and they are an I. They are an it and they live by chemicals. And if you can't get over that, take more chemicals and drug yourself up to be okay to sleep at night. I have his book, and that is what he says at the end of it. Somebody say, God have mercy. Is it any wonder that everybody in the, in the times that we were talking about before had guns in their homes, but nobody shot up a church and a school? But it wasn't until, like we saw Columbine, when they, they began to be told that they were nothing but animals and people weren't worthy of, of respect and dignity. You could kill them in abortion clinics. Was it any wonder that when we taught them that, that then that's how they treated us, like video games in our school shootings? Are you listening to me? You don't think people could have ganged up back then? People always had the ability to go to war, but at least they went and fought for different things. You have now people fighting over blocks they can't even own because they have no value of the human life. At least back in the, the days on the Serengeti or we were in the jungles or when we were in the plains or wherever we were, we were fighting for food and for productivity. People now fighting for things that they get nothing out of it. Are you listening to me? 
Because they're living just like animals. Why is this new to our generation? Killing without any discrimination. Just killing anybody. Shooting up blocks. Not caring what you get out. As long as somebody gets shot over there, I'm okay. And it could be a baby. It could be a child. Why are we living in this dog-eat-dog world? Because we told them they were animals. Now they're acting like animals. And this is one of them that tells them they're animals right here. Put in a, a, a Richard Dawkins quote. Richard Dawkins, that we live in a blind, pitiless world. Dawkins, quote, blind, pitiless. He says that there is no right, there is no wrong. You're just molecules in motion. How many know you give that to people as a vision, they're going to live crazy? I said, how many of you give that to people as a vision? They're going to live crazy. Is it any wonder you got somebody with purple hair on TikTok now saying they're a bird? Because you told them that they're nothing, they're nothing but just molecules in motion. Notice what Richard Dawkins says. The universe we observe is precisely the properties we should expect. There is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. How many know if I slap him, take his keys, he's going to start feeling there's a difference? Hello, y'all get quiet right now. He said there's no difference in the universe. Okay, I got your keys, I got your house, now I get it. Is there a difference? They live like hypocrites, don't they? They want to tell you there's no God so they can do what they want. They, they, they want you to, to worship them. Scientists, entertainers want you to worship them instead of worshiping God. They want you to think that you come into church saying you got a vision. It makes you silly and religious. And yet this is what they're doing. That's why I tell them. I say, man, I'm a person of faith. You play make-believe. You're make-believe and you're a person. You don't even believe there's a difference between good and evil. That means every time Richard Dawkins lets somebody walk in front of them to do something nice for them, there is no difference between that and him raping them. He's playing make-believe. Every time he pays his taxes, he's acting like it's good to do that. He's playing make-believe. Every time he did something nice, he's playing. See, I do stuff nice for people because I want to be treated the same way by a God who's going to judge me by that standard. Amen? See, they live in make-believe world. I believe according to the scriptures, and I live, I live in the real world by faith. Amen? Amen. Let's go back to our notes. That was a good introduction. Anybody hype right now on Jesus? I'm hyped with the scriptures, man. Where there's no vision, please, you had it. Thank you, sir. Where there is no vision, Proverbs 29, 18, highlighted in your Bible, your app. Where there's no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. How many think we got to go back to keeping the law of God? I like what the old timers used to say. They took the metal, uh, they took the Bible out of schools, and now they got metal detectors. That's what happened. They came out the closet and pushed Christians in the closet. You heard that one? See, they came out the closet, and now they say, we get all the shows, we get all the entertainment, we get all the Emmys. You Christians, you go over there and do your own thing on Sundays. I'm done with it in Jesus' name. I want to show them that we are better at everything. Amen? Not only are we better at chicken with Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby and things like that, I want to show them that we're better in music, that we're better in our businesses, that we're better in our families, that Christ makes everything better. Christ's culture over everything in Jesus' name. Amen? It's not about my Italian culture, my Polish culture, my American culture. To hell with all of it. It's all about Christ's culture. Christ's kingdom culture. Praise God. Amen? That's why we're here today. So here's the, here's the connection piece. This is where I want to not only just preach, but I want to teach. Where is your vision? I want to encourage you to have one. I have one. Here it is for the church. I put it in writing like the Bible says. Habakkuk 2, verses 2 through 3 says, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. How many know many of your jobs, many of your businesses are putting visions and goals for 2024? Amen. How many know the ones that don't are going to get eaten up by the ones that do? You know, I said to you guys this last week, and it still remains. Some of y'all working for Kmart, and Walmart's coming for you. Some of y'all working for Blockbuster, and here comes Netflix. 
Hello. And it's okay because if you're a Christian, even though uh, Daniel was in Babylon, when they were overtaken, Babylon rolled with the Perds and the Mesians. Amen? I mean, the Medes, you got to get down where you, you got to get in where you fit in, and you got to trust the Lord to bless you. So you may be a part of T-Mobile. They may get bought out by Verizon. Verizon may buy out T-Mobile. But here's the thing. On your job, in your everyday life, write out your vision. What do you want to see come to pass this year? What are you believing God for? How many know somebody's going to get a raise this year? How many know somebody's going to buy a new house this year? How many know somebody is going to have the best year of their life this year? I mean, I know during that COVID time, it was hard for some of us, man, but those guys were getting richer while we were getting poorer. Here we're getting bailouts, and these guys are shorting the entire stock market. They manipulate that. That's why it goes up and down as the way it goes. These banks are manipulating that stock market so they can come out billionaires. Out of that housing recession, out of 2008, you know who made a lot of money? All those real estate moguls, because while we were foreclosing on mortgages that we couldn't afford, here they came with their money and bought it all up and then sold it on that last hype that just came past. Are you listening? listening. I said, are you listening, brothers and sisters? Every person you read about in the Bible knew how to do this stuff. Look at Abraham, vision, multiple generations coming through him. What about Joseph having dreams, vision? He goes from being in a pit, being betrayed by his brothers, to being in Potiphar's house as a slave, to being thrown in prison. And then before you know it, he's ruling Egypt with Pharaoh. Have you ever read the Bible before, folks? Daniel started off people hating on him, wanting to kill him, throw him in a lion's den. The next thing you know, Daniel's ruling Babylon. You see, we don't die. We multiply people. We get better as things get worse. As the darkness comes, the light shines brighter. How many know darkness can't stop light? I mean, we could try it right now. It might scare some of you guys. But how many know if we shut off all the lights and I just turned on my little old phone, darkness would flee? It doesn't matter how dark this culture gets. We are the light. We have Jesus Christ. Darkness cannot overcome the light. Light overcomes darkness every single time. Amen? So just because this is the way it is right now doesn't mean that's the way it's got to stay. Oh, they're aborting babies? That doesn't mean that's got to stay that way. The greatest time of adoption could come upon us right now. You ever drove by one of those YMCAs? How many do we got in our city? Like two or three, four or five? I don't know. I see them all over the place. Those came from a generation that believed young people needed a place to hang out. It's about time we reinvent those and put those back into the neighborhoods and show the young people how to be Christians for Jesus. Amen? This is what it's like to be a young Christian. Hallelujah. Not some gay, effeminate YMCA. That wasn't made for them. Some guys wearing some Daisy Dukes and construction hats and stuff. YMCA wasn't made for that. YMCA was for Young Men's Christian Association. You want to be like Jesus and you want a ball? They invite, invented basketball. Look up where basketball. Everybody like basketball. Where'd that come from? My people. That came from the Christians in YMCA. Put up the history of basketball. Show them. They don't believe me. Come on. It came from Christians. Somebody say Christians. Not only did we build castles, not only did we do art, not only did we build universities and hospitals and orphanages, we invented basketball. You're welcome. You're welcome. Looking at some of the ballers in the church. You're welcome, y'all. You got that from us. You got that from Christians. Somebody say Christians. Did you know that basketball was invented at YMCA? Y'all got, come on, some, some people got small vision. I want to invent a sport. Come on, I want to invent a sport. I want to build a castle. I want to discover something that's never been discovered before. Christians invented the MRI. I mean, I'll be here all day with you. I mean, I want to believe God that he can do more than we can ever ask, think, or imagine. 
Many of us, we look at what's in the world, and we think it's, it's always got to be that way. I love what Steve Jobs said. He said, I want to rearrange it. That's why he invented something you could hold in your hand. That's the power of a computer that sent people to, to space. You have more in your hand right now than the NASA's computer of the moon landing. He said, I want to rearrange the way you look at the world. That was Steve Jobs. And if he didn't repent, he's in hell right now. Because the Bible says, what does it do a good for a man to gain the whole world yet go to hell? But let's not hate on him for what he did out of the image of God. He invented stuff. He saw stuff where nobody else saw it. And I could show you the same kinds of things all, all over the world. Whether it's fashion, whether it's music, the Christians are leading it when they get their minds right. When they get their heart right, we're good examples. Like just for example, right, let me give you an example. Somebody say make it plain. Thank you. As much as right now we may not like Bill Gates. A lot of people think he's you know, buying up all that land because he wants to starve the whole world, but yet he has the money and he's going to use his farmland to, to make, I guess, uh, impossible burgers, which is like fake burgers, and it's going to be impossible to ever like that, by the way. You can eat a grasshopper if you want, but I'm eating a cow, okay? But anyways, you know, he's putting computer chips in the water or whatever they think he's doing. But how many know he's known also for being a generous person? Because of all the things, the Bill Gates Foundation. How many have heard about that? You know what I'm talking about? How many know that no matter what you think about Oprah Winfrey, sleeping with Steadman, not being married, that's adultery according to the Bible, being a part of the New Age, hanging out with, you know, all of these New Agers. But how many know she's known, and especially like Chicago, she's known for her generosity. You get a car, you get a car, you get a car. But if I ask you right now, name a preacher that's as popular as those two folks for their generosity and for their, their charity, how many know we couldn't even name them? If I said T.D. Jakes, and I said he's, in the, you know, he's the most generous person I know, how many people are like, what are you talking about? I don't know anything about T.D. Jakes giving away stuff. If I said Joe Osteen, uh, you know, he's so popular because he's so generous, people are like, what are you talking about? There was a hurricane in, in Houston. He didn't even open up the dome that they meet in to let him in. How many know what I'm talking about? Just put it up there. Joe Osteen didn't open up the church, but mattress people were opening it up. These people were known as heroes, and yet they didn't even open up the church. Listen, if there's a hurricane here, you can come in here anytime. <laughs> that would be crazy to have a hurricane off Lake Michigan, but you can come in here anytime. Amen? You're too cold, you can come in here. Amen? You're always welcome. I couldn't imagine having a church the size of a stadium. People are outside drowning and saying, you can't come in here. I'm not making this. I don't, I don't make up stuff about people. I don't lie. That's called bearing false witness. I'm going to show it to you right here. That that was a whole scandal. They wouldn't open up their church during the time of Houston having a hurricane. So why is it today, listen, think about this, that at the same time churches have all this money, they have all this television, they have all of these buildings, we're not known for our charities anymore. What do you think happened? See, we became greedy, didn't we? We lost vision. I'm not saying some churches don't. There's some great churches in our city that we would know about. Pastor Choco, New Life Covenant, and some others. I mean, I, I would know that they're generous, okay? They're bigger than us and all that. I would know they're generous. But I'm saying on a whole, our culture doesn't know about them. All they know about is the TV preacher saying, if you want a miracle, send me $50 and I'll send you my rag. Or you know what? Send any size love offering and we'll write your prayer request right up here. We'll put it at the altar. All of that shucking and jiving does not help people. It puts a bad taste in their mouth. Here we have all of these buildings not being used for God's glory, and then we want to say God gave it to us. Why would God give us something not to use it? I have my friends renting out their church to other churches. Man, how stupid is that? God gave you a building, and now you rent it out to somebody else. What, is God making money off God now? That don't even make sense. Hey, hey right hand, you want something from less hand? You better pay for it. That's like me renting the house from my wife or my wife renting it from me. How many know that's silly? How many know if God gave the church something, it's for the church? So I 
messing with my friends when they say, well, God gave me this building. God did that. I'm like, great. When can I borrow it? He's my pappy too. Y'all listening to me? And my friends look at me like, well, well, you know, we got to cover this expense and that expense. And I'm like, just show me those expenses and I'll cover them. Seriously, man, how many have ever been married in a church, a done son of church, and they're like $500? Show me it was $500 of electricity we used during that wedding. Oh, y'all get quiet when I talk like this. Show, show me how much we had to pay to you. Man, no, they're making money off that. I've had even people say to me, Pastor, I don't know if we can afford you at this funeral. This family didn't have anything. I said, we got something very mis mistaken right here. Number one, pastors should never charge you anything for a few. It's our honor to come preach and pray at your passing of a loved one. And then number two, you don't have to give anything. You, that, that's our privilege. And if you want to, you can give it to the church, but don't give it to me. A lot of times I tell you about these pastors, they go from church to church to church, and they preach just so they can make more money on top of the church that they, they have a salary from. That's why whenever I go out and preach, it goes right to the church. Why? Because you already paid me once. I don't need to get paid twice. Was I not employed by Metro Praise during the week that I went? Hello, are you all listening to me? Oh, I guess you all still want some pimping pastors then. But I get into the game, and I teach them, Nancy, will you help him find that? Help him find when uh, Joe Losing didn't open up the building during the hurricane. Go back to those notes, brother. Keep that up there for us, please, as, as my wife helps you find it. The Bible says you got to have a vision or you perish. Number two, you got to write it down. And number three, the plans of the diligent, Proverbs 21.5, lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Would you put up the other slide while she helps you out there, and you guys can do that on the side. Everybody say, receive God's vision. Come on, say it like you're up. Receive God's vision. Thank you. Say, record the vision. And somebody say, work the vision. Amen. How many got a vision today? Let's go. My vision is for my family. I want to see my family 50 years down the road. I got to work towards that vision today, and I got to share it with them. I can't just say, man, I want a blessed family and, and not do anything about it. I got to also put in work. Somebody say put in work. Man, you got to put in work. The Bible talks about if a man don't work, he don't eat. So you get a vision. It comes out of the realm of the heavenly dream, you know, like Holy Ghost inspired realm. And you bring that into your real world or how we look at it, the natural world. And then you write it down and you share it with people. And then you go to work. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm putting in work towards 100,000. How many are putting in work towards your goals this week when you go on that job? How many are putting in work when you go home today to be with your family? How many know if you want children, you got to put in work? I say that. If you want children, how many know you got to put in work? Amen. You know, I always used to tease, <laughs> I always used to tease my, my, my mother-in-law because she was like, I can't wait for you guys to have grandbabies. I said, we're just practicing right now, Grandma. We're just practicing. We're going to get you there soon enough, but we're just practicing. But soon we're going to get on the field and perform for you, so pray for me. Pray for me. And she's like, oh, Joey, Joey, yeah, I'm practicing, I'm practicing. Look at this. Defends not opening up Lakewood Church in Houston to Harvey victims. Joe Lostin, who runs the 16,000 capacity Lakewood Church, has been criticized on social media for not opening his doors to Hurricane Harvey victims. Now, I'm not saying that that church does not do generous things for people. I'm not saying they don't. But this is what they're known for. The people in our culture don't know us as Christians, as givers anymore. How about this? If you ask most people, what do you think about Christians morally? Do you think, I mean, let's just be honest. Do you think most people would be like, oh, Christians, man, they are super moral and really true to their word, man. They are the real deal. Come on, y'all getting quiet on me. Do you think that's what they would say? They would say, man, those Christians, they are hypocrites. 
And then they'll tell you some story, and they always will. They'll, tell, they'll be like, I had this one person coming to my job. They said they were a Christian, but they kept stealing from me, and then I had to fire them. I'm telling you, I, I meet business owners like that. I've had people tell me that work in the, uh, the, the uh, restaurant industry. They say, oh, man, you Christians come here on Sunday. They don't tip. Christians are the worst tippers. See, this is the reputation that we have. Oh, you know what? I used to have a neighbor. They were a Christian, but they kept stealing from me. They kept taking from me. They kept doing I tried to talk to them. They wouldn't listen. The Bible says we are blasphemed. Think about this. We are blasphemed among the Gentiles, among the world, because we're not living for Jesus. Somebody say, not here. Amen. Go back to the slide. Thank you, good sir. Come on. Not here. Look at your neighbor and say, not here. Amen. We have a vision. We record a vision, and we're going to work hard for that vision. You may have to work for a sinner right now, okay? But be the best Christian on that job so that that sinner has to give glory to God when your company, when your, when your department is making them uh, points on the board for, for them. I love it, man, when I hear testimonies from you. I just got a promotion. Or you know what? My boss said to me, you, you know, you deserve this new job that we're coming up with. We're going to create this new position for you because you're doing this and that. And I know, let me just say this. I know some of us, we go through times of hardship where it's not always successful on the job. We're not always being rewarded. We're kind of like Joseph in that journey where we're in the pit, where we're in between, or we're in a time like we're getting lied on, like that woman lied on Joseph while he was working for her. He, she said, he tried to have sex with me and rape me. Okay, I get it. Some of us are in those tests, but how many know tests turn into testimonies? How many know God takes a mess and makes it a message? So don't look at your current situation and your circumstance and let that change your identity. Joseph did not let that woman change him because she wanted to act wild and crazy. He allowed God to get his back and to make it happen for him. So let's go to our name and why we are the way we are. Metro Praise International comes from Jeremiah 33, 9. We're a house of praise for the nations. The new Jerusalem is coming down. It's going to be a city of praise before all people. But until that city comes, we are going to represent God on earth. Amen? This city or this church will bring me renown, joy, praise, honor before all nations on the earth that hear of all the good things I do for it, and they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. Do you think some of your neighbors and some of your friends want to see some awe? I think they do, and guess what that's going to be? Awesome. You give some awe to your people, they're going to say, I got some awesome from them. Are y'all quiet right now? I don't care if you don't think I'm funny, but y'all better catch that. When people get some awe from you, they're going to say that. Awesome. There you go. Awesome. Yeah, I got some, I got some awe from this one. And how do we do that? In my family, people look at my kids. They think they're all going to be crazy. And they go, man, I'm in awe that they are chill. So they got some awesome, didn't they? When people look at me from my past, I already had one just write me the other day. I used to get high and get drunk with them. He just wrote me the other day. He said, man, I've been putting you on to even my family. My mom's been watching you. Keep on preaching, preacher. And I said, look, I'm going to get a hold of you. That's one of the guys I used to get high with. I've even had some of them sit right here, and I went out and hung out with them. He said, man, you are a testimony. I said, yeah, it's all the glory of God. You got some awe on you right now from what I'm handing out by God. You got some awesome. Right? People need to look at us and say, I want some of that awesome from you. 
Is your attitude changed? Is your life changed? Like the old preachers say, you say you saved, but what are you saved from? You should be saved from your attitude. You should be saved from your habits. You should be saved from the depression and the anxiety and the stress of this world. You should have so much peace on you that people want a piece of your peace. Are you listening to me? When, the, when you say to them, look, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind, they go, please bring it because I need some of the peace on your mind. Normally when somebody hears you say that, they go, no, keep it for yourself. I don't need to hear a piece of your mind because you're going to bring me some crazy right now. How many know what I'm talking about? But when they see you, they're like, give me some of that peace of your mind because you got peace in your mind. The Bible says that this is what the reputation of God's people will be. I want it to be our reputation. You know, they said about Nazareth and Jesus' day. What good can come out of Nazareth? Guess who came out of Nazareth? Jesus! Well, what good can come out of Chicago? Metro praise. We praise in his name. Come on. We changing the world. People look at us all the time on Instagram and all that, and they think like they come, they, they come into a mega church. They go, is this y'all right here doing all this? Yeah, we whooping the devil like Goliath. We like David out here in Jesus' name. People see us all the time and think we're a mega church. I see that Chicago for Jesus stuff everywhere I go. Yeah, because we don't die, we multiply. We are a church of soldiers, baby. We are about it, about it for the gospel. Making disciples is Jesus' business, and business is good. I can't compete with them on a fountain, a Megatron screen. I can't compete with them on the size of a choir or records they recorded. But, baby, I'll go toe-to-toe with preaching the gospel on street corners. Even the dealers know our names out there. We hood certified in Jesus' name. They're like the demons that say, I, I don't know you, but I know Paul. When we come out there, they're like, hey, we recognize them. Real recognize real. Make room to Metro Praise Truck coming here. How many know God sent us out into this world and even the world respect it? I'm not saying they always love us, but how many know we get love? We get some certification where we go. Oh, there they come again. Oh, I remember you. You've been coming. I'm going to go to the west side. They go, I remember you. You've been coming out here for years. Yeah, I'm going to come out here until you get saved in Jesus' name. I'm coming out here until this block is hot for Jesus. We don't stop. We go, and that's what we have to do on our jobs, and that's what we have to do in our families. Be committed to our marriages. Be committed to our children. Amen? Amen. Now let's get to the message. Everybody say the message. That was just the introduction. I got 10 points in the message. Y'all ready for this? This is what the message is for, to, for us today. Now I'm going to give you right here. I'll give you $10. If you can tell me your job don't want you to do this, I'll give you $10 to help you find a new one, Okay. Because this will apply to every part of your life. And this is on the notes and on the app. If you guys want to take pictures, get it now to keep it on your phone. But I got it on the app for you as well. Look at these ten qualities. Willing, committed, faithful, generous, sacrificial, dedicated, humble, eager, hungry, trustworthy. Do you think there's any job out there going, I want people who are unwilling to do what we ask them to do? Do you think there's any job out there going, I'm looking for the uncommitted. I want the unfaithful. I want the stingy. I want those who don't come early and don't stay late. I want the undedicated. Is there anybody's job that says, we want proud folk that argue about everything and never admit they're wrong? Is there anybody's job that says, we don't want eager people, we want lazy people? Is there anybody's job that says, we don't want them hungry for success and achieving good things, we want them just to be satisfied with being mediocre? 
Or do you think there's anybody's job, institution, whether you're a firefighter, policeman, working in government, is there anybody here in the corporate world, anybody here building houses that wants an untrustworthy person on the job site tomorrow? So now do you notice how every one of these things apply to your life? I said, do you notice how every one of these things apply to your life? They're going to apply to the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. Even when you sleep, how many know you want to sleep next to a trustworthy person? When I open, I hope she don't stab me tonight. <laughs> I know sometimes husbands have wives like that. I feel bad for them. Some wives, man, they wear the pants and the belt, and they will surely show it. Husbands get kicked out their own bed and all of that. I'm thankful I got nice Nancy. But my mom, she's a sassy one. My dad sometimes talks about my mom like that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, she will whoop up on you, dad. She used to do it to me. My mom's probably listening to this. But no, seriously, how many are happy you have a trustworthy slumber party buddy and you call your husband or your wife? Yeah, how many want your children to be trustworthy? Do you know the first people I began to steal from were my own parents? Yeah, I was a crazy white kid, suburban kid. That's what we did. The first, seriously, the first laws we broke was in our house. We stole from our parents, got their alcohol, partied in their house. That's what we used to do. I was untrustworthy even in my own family's house. God have mercy, stealing out my dad's wallet, jumping out the window while they were all asleep. But, you know, we need trustworthy children. We need a trustworthy society. Well, where are you going to get it from? You go buy $1.99 and a pound at Jewel? I'll take a pound of trustworthiness. You get it from God's Word. You get it from Christian people who know God's Word because otherwise it just lays in a library. This Word has to become real inside of our hearts. We have to put in this work. And this is what I believe, brothers and sisters, because I don't want to waste time. I'm a hard worker, but I like to work smart. Anybody else like that? I will work hard with you, but if I see you doing some slow stuff, I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm just serious. I do not want to waste time. I want to get that job done quick. As a matter of fact, probably telling on myself, but it's always good for the preacher to do this. I say I'm different than the Catholic priest. The Catholic priest says naughty things in a dark closet, and he should be brought before for a bright room courtroom, but I'm the opposite. I tell you my naughty things in a bright light so you can pray for me. Can I hear an amen? How many know Father Tom needs to stop that stuff in the darkness and come to the light? And then pastors need to say it in the light, so I'm going to tell myself. You all ready? When we get furniture from Ikea, my kids know you either going to put this together right or you're going to start doing jumping jacks, push-ups, and running in that backyard. Now, I know for some of you had to hold the flashlight for your dad. One meme said it like this. You can never say something so mean to me that will make me cry. I used to have to hold the flashlight for my dad. So some people used to have to hold the flashlight. Hold the flashlight. Beep, 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 beep. Okay, so anyways. When my kids are with me, am I telling the truth, Lucas? When we start building something from Ikea, it's really serious at that moment. I'm like, get the Phillips screwdriver. If they come back with that flathead, five push-ups. I know you're like, but we better pray for these kids. We better call child services. I promise you I don't do anything to hurt them. But here's the thing that I want them to understand is that you have to listen carefully to instructions because instructions matter to performing the task in excellence. I don't want to waste time. You fumble for and looking for the wrong screwdriver. I have told you there's a flathead one and there's a star-headed one. Go get me the Phillips star-headed one. Are you listening? You come back with a flat-headed one, you doing burpees. Because I don't want to waste any time. 
I'm here to tell you God don't want to waste any time. God is not messing with us saying, well, you know what? You can really have a good life if you lie a lot. When I told you thou shalt not lie, that was just to make me feel better about myself because I like watching you guys do random tasks on earth as my pets. No, God is literally saying to us, when you don't lie, you have a better life. You survive the ditches where other people are running into those ditches. My friends who thought they were slick having affairs are not where I'm at today about ready to celebrate 20 years of marriage. They thought they were slick, but really it didn't work out. Are you all listening to me? They got themselves in trouble. They wasted their effort. Everybody think about it. Instead of wooing their wife, they wooed a secretary. Now they got neither because the secretary moved on to the next one anyways. How many know most of the time when they cheat, the one they cheat with don't last long anyways? Because if he cheated on you or she cheated on you to get with you, they'll cheat with you. Or when they're dating you because they still a cheater until they get changed. Are you listening? So brothers and sisters, when we talk about this, we're not wasting time. We're not spinning our wheels. Paul even said it like this. I'm not a boxer who beats the air. I'm fighting a real opponent. You are here to win a real battle. Everybody say amen if you believe it. Amen. Thank you. Number one, be willing to love God and others with everything you have. We live by the golden rule. Our rule is the what rule? The golden rule. Do unto others as you want done unto you. I even say this to Christians who have good in their heart, and they sometimes think being sneaky and all of that is the good thing. And I'm like, would you want a Muslim doing that? So, for example, sometimes people are like, well, I go to the mall, and I sneak into the mall, and I put Bibles in those different places. You want Muslims sneaking into your house putting Korans? Then don't do it to somebody else. Are you listening? That's a private business. And then some of my friends, they go on planes, and they go, hey, everybody, just want to tell you Jesus loves you. And I'm like, would you want a Muslim to stand up on that plane? Allah Akbar. How many know that dude's getting tackled? And anybody who looks Middle Eastern, even Joe B., he's getting tackled. Half kid. He walks into the deli. They're like, assalamu alaikum. Where are you from? Where are you from? Saudi Arabia? Where are you not? Because I know Latinos, you a lot of times, you know, you look like, you know, uh, that you come from the Middle East, right? Because it's a dark skin. But listen, a guy stands up and goes, Allah, are we all tackling that guy? But we want the person, oh, Jesus loves you. It's private property. You see, even when I street preach, people are like, would you want this in front of your house? Yes, if it was respectable. I'm doing it respectable. When we had protesters out here, I didn't tell them they had to leave, get the police to tell them to leave. That's public property. I just say, I said they didn't disturb the peace. Sometimes we as Christians, we're like, we want to do sneaky stuff because we think we have God in our size, and that allows us to break laws. Everything you do, everybody say, my rule is the golden rule. Don't do nothing to anybody that you wouldn't done to, want done to you. And I'm talking about all stages of life. I'm even talking about war. How would you want to die? Would you want to die of chemical warfare? Then don't use chemical warfare. Can I hear an amen? In the time of war, would you want to be raped? Then don't rape the person you have as a captive. Can I hear an amen? I'm talking about rules to life. Everything we do is by the golden rule. How many know that would change the world right now if Christians were willing to do that? We're not going to cheat. We're not going to lie. We're not going to be scheming. We're not going to be swindlers. We're going to do everything by the word of God. We're going to be known as people of integrity. We're going to be known as people who keep our word even if it hurts. 
I remember one of the times during the, the housing crash when we were going through an economic crisis, I was going through personal bankruptcy because I couldn't afford the church that we were at. It's in our book. I'm never ashamed of it, but I'm embarrassed. I wish I wouldn't have done it. I signed a lease for 10000 a month. The church couldn't afford it, and it was my name on the line, and they sued me, and I went bankrupt. It was one of my biggest lessons in life is, number one, don't sign for a church what you can't personally pay. The church pays my salary. So if the church goes through a hardship, how am I going to pay 10000 a month? So they sued me and the church. But I was also renting another facility at Wicker Park where Rudy, uh, the long-haired uh, Fabio, the Latino Fabio came from. Where is he at? Where is the long-haired Fabio? There he is. Back. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, forget you're back there. The Latino Fabio. There he is. And uh, it was worth it being out there. But this is what my lawyer told me. They said, anything with your name on it, you're free to get away from now. You, you can get away. You can hand in your car. You can hand in leases. Everything with your name on it, you're good to walk away from. And I said, I, I can't do that. I mean, we, we still bring in money as a church, and this facility is still doing its job. He said, yeah, but you can just close everything down right now. So I went to that landlord, and I said, listen, I can get out of this lease if I want, but I want to know how it will affect you. And he said, man, I'm going through so much hard stuff right now. If you could just finish this lease, I would appreciate it so much. And then I said, okay, I'm going to finish the lease. And how many know that was good to keep my reputation? But I could have just said, I'm restructuring. I'm shutting everything down. Sorry, boss. I can't pay the rent anymore. I'm going to go back in one direction, one facility, et cetera. But I went to that man to see how was that going to affect him. And even though I could, if I wanted to, to do that, I was willing to stay with him. Also, when they said, your credit card is now wiped out and do not make any more payments. I said, you've got to be kidding me because I've had a credit card since I was 18 years old. My dad gave it to me. I went to Bible college, had the best credit. He, he said, now that's all gone. And I said, you got to be kidding me. I just bought about $2,000 of stuff from my house. I said, I don't even feel right keeping this stuff. Can I go back to the store and give it to them? Because in their mind, they're going to think I knew I was going bankrupt. How many know what I'm talking about being slick? Bought a TV on credit card. Now I get to keep the TV. Some of y'all in the church even think like that. God have mercy. Stop being swindlers. Are you listening to me? I said, stop being swindlers. Amen. So I said to him, I said, man, can I give back that TV? He said, man, you got to keep it now. And I said, well, I guess I'll keep it. Okay. No, I'm kidding. Half kid. But you see, in my heart, I understood something, that if I didn't pay for it that way, I don't want it. You see, brothers and sisters, you have to keep your word even if it hurts. You have to be willing to do the hard things in life, even when no one else around you is. When I was going through that bankruptcy proceeding, they were saying to me, how in the world do you owe half a million dollars to this guy? Like, what did you do? Are you in business? I said, no, it's a church lease. They said, what in the world? Why are they suing a church? I said, because they're desperate themselves. They don't have any money. The whole housing market is crashing. Real estate is crashing. They think I have some hidden money from a denomination or a family member. I said, they think I got it. I've already shown them I have nothing. And both times at Peter Geraci's office in downtown, you know what those people said? We feel sorry for you, but we're glad you did the right thing. Can I hear an amen? And how many know those years afterward, we built this church to be better than it ever was before. My wife and I are better than we've ever been before. Seven years, the bankruptcy's off of my credit. Finally, I can have my credit back in Jesus' name. Some of y'all half clapping, like, I don't know if we should clap for that, man. You should never went bankrupt to begin with. Pastor, what's wrong with you, man? Come to this church. Like, you've never made a mistake. Come on. And you know the one thing, and we have people from this church that are here right now that will tell you, there was never a day I ever went to that church and I begged them for money. And there was never a day, even with tears almost in my eyes right now, that I ever said it was their fault. Because those people said we could do it. I had elders vote on it. We can afford this. My wife will be my witness. People who voted on it went bankrupt themselves. 
People who said that they wanted to be a part of our church left our church high and dry because they got offended of something. They were big givers at that time, but I never became bitter. Love God and people, and you'll never go wrong. Amen? Committed to Jesus and his kingdom, Matthew 6, Putting God first is putting his kingdom first. Number three, being faithful to family, church, and your calling. We can't have our marriages out of order except expect God to bless us. we got to have our marriages in order, our children in order, and our family in order. Amen? Even get mother-in-laws in order. How many know that got to happen? Amen. How many believe mother-in-laws can get in order? And my mom's, my, 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 my wife's laughing. I had to put my mother-in-law in order. That's why she don't come to this church anymore. But some of you older saints can go after her and try to get her. But she didn't like the way we were holding down business. And I'm like, listen, you, you're, you're in charge of the skoidoya. You're in charge of the tzatziki sauce. I'm in charge here in Jesus' name. Get in order. <laughs> Somebody's like, like, I wish I could, like, talking to their wife. I wish we could go tell your mom that. I'm going to tell her right now. But sometimes mother-in-laws get, get too much involved. And you know what? I love her, and I shouldn't talk about it like this because some of you know her. But I'm telling I'll put my whole family in order. I kicked my sister out of my house. Are you listening to me? I said, are you listening to me? She said to my daughter, where's Bethany at? Where's Bethany? Hiding somewhere, always hiding. She's in serving. She's actually helping out. That's okay. We'll just talk about her behind your back. <laughs> My sister's sassy, like me, believe it or not. And uh, she said something rude to my daughter, started making my daughter cry. My daughter has a sensitive heart. I said this to my sister. I said, hey, listen, we can take this, you and I. You and I can take this. But my daughter can't take that. You either apologize to her right now or you get out of my house. See, some of y'all got these cousin problems, cousin Flacco problems. You got sister problems. I'll help you right now. I'll get you to kick them out in Jesus' name. You'll get, you get, you, you get freedom right now and have no more problems. Come on, somebody clap if you want to get free. Somebody get free today. I told her, I said, you either apologize. Is that not telling the truth? You were there. Weren't you there, Hannah? Are you old enough to remember? Do you remember that? Bethany, did I not tell our, my sister, your aunt, if she didn't apologize for making you cry, she had to leave the house. That's right. You happy your dad stood up for you? That's it. That's how, we, that's how it rolls in my house. I'll kick you out, you come crazy. Are you listening? I'll be, I'm serious with you. I'll kick you out. I'll kick out your boyfriend. I'll kick out all of you. I'll kick out anybody. It's like if you've ever watched Parks and Rec, you know, when the Venezuelans come. Uh, a parking ticket? To jail. Uh, cooking bad food? To jail. I may have seen that scene in Parks and Rec. Okay, nobody watches that. But seriously, you cuss in my house, one morning you kicked out. You try to hook up with your boyfriend and girlfriend, I get kicked out. You, know, you listen to what I'm saying? You, get, you take the name of the Lord in vain, out. You watch something on my, uh, on my couch that you're not supposed to watch, my daughter will catch you. My daughter said my brother-in-law was watching something that was a little bit naughty, told my wife. I said, if I was there, it would have been, do it or you get kicked out. You ain't watching porn on my couch. Are you listening to me? And I don't know if he was, but my, it might have been a bathing suit. I don't know, but my daughter said, he had some stuff on there of a girl with her clothes off, and it didn't look right. Was it a bathing suit or was it nude? Okay, so even then, we're going to check him. <laughs> he might have just, poor guy, he might have just been like looking at some physical fitness thing, you know? Girl in a bathing suit. Next thing, my daughter's like, there was a girl in a bathing suit on his phone. We, oh, you, somebody's like, you, you have tattletale kids. Yeah, we encourage tattletaling. You get an extra brownie if you tattletale in my house. Now, if you come up with some ridiculous stuff, you get in trouble. Well, he said this and that. No, y'all go back down there and do that. But if it's like you know, someone's not supposed to be on the pad, and Titus will come up to me and be like, is Hannah supposed to be on her pad, her tablet right now? And I'm like, no, she's on it right now. Okay. 
Extra brownie for him. Amen. Come on, somebody. How many know you got to be faithful? You got to be generous too. You got to be willing to give. You got to be willing to take out of what you have and give it to others. Now, this doesn't mean you can help everybody, but you got to help somebody. When I was in Bible college, my friends in Bible college being raised up to be missionaries and pastors put their names on their Cheerios. Somebody say, Help us, Jesus. I looked at this and I go, what are we doing here, boys? We are in Bible college. We are in Christians. I mean, uh, we are Christians. We are in school to learn how to give stuff away. And all of y'all putting your name on stuff in here. They got so mad at me, they had to have a dorm meeting about me. Because Joe refused to put his name on stuff. This is what I said to them. I said, brothers and sisters, if we don't learn now how to be generous, how are we going to be generous out there? Now, this is God is my witness, and I, and I said this in the first service, and I hope I don't lose my reward for this because it's a blessing to my heart. And my, wife, uh, my mom will testify to this because she remembers talking to me about this. My parents were blessed. They, gave, they paid all my school. They gave me a car and an allowance. Somebody say, that's blessed. Yeah, go to college for free, free car and allowance. All I had to do was get good grades, and by God's grace, I did. Now, listen to this. I noticed very quickly that the friends that I had did not have it like that. And you know what I did? Instead of going out, I mean, literally, they had a Popeye's right next to me, man. And I'm in the South, man. The good food was everywhere, Cajun everywhere. But you know what? Instead of eating like that, I went to the store, Piggly Wiggly is what we called it at that time. And I got all the ramen and hot dogs I could get, and I would throw it up in there and not put my name on it. And they would get upset because I would let everybody come and eat, and they didn't have to have their name on it. Now, I guarantee you, you look at those pastors' lives today, those men that I was with, they're still stingy. They couldn't give in the Bible college to a fellow brother because they had to put their name on their Cheerios. And they had to make sure, and I'm telling you, lines on milk. How many know what I'm talking about if you ever had a roommate like that? I've seen it in movies, but I saw it for real. Lines on their milk carton. And this is what I want to do. I want to walk up to some of the pastors now that are having all these conferences and all this stuff, and I want to be like, Pastor Bob, Bishop so-and-so, yo, just come here for a second, real quick, real quick. Hey, man, I want to ask you a question. I know it's going to be weird, but I want to ask you. When you were in Bible college, did you put your name on stuff? Yeah, I did. Why? Because it shows now you have no generosity. From my earliest age, this is what I understood as a Christian. God has given me a lot. I need to give it back. When I started filling up my Saturn as a young man, many of your ages right now, and started taking my own money to give out groceries, I did that, brother, not because somebody told me, not because there was even a ministry in the church, but I understood this one principle. If it had not been for God, I would be in hell. So you ask me now, what is, is it worth 50 bucks to go to the hood and give away some groceries? I'll do that every time. And is it any coincidence now, you look at a church like this, gospel truck going out, and now we're going to be having a gospel van for the homeless and helping them out. And I talked to a brother, and he's already willing to put down 10 Gs for the gospel van. Come on, somebody. This is Jesus' work. That's why we don't charge you for any of this stuff, because we believe that's freely given, freely received, or freely received, freely give. But we need a church to be generous. If everybody here would be generous, we would have no lack. If everybody that calls himself a Christian in the United States was generous, we would have no more homeless. Can I hear an amen? The Bible says be sacrificial. Can you go to Global Christian Relief, please? Second video of Pray for India. Right now we are seeing persecution on the rise in India. 
You, you think of India, what do you think of? Like Hindus, nice people, right? And generally they are. But there's a culture of them, an extremist version of them that hates Christianity. And they are going through a Hindu, uh, Hindu nationalism revival right now. So as we are wanting to see Christianity have a revival, they're seeing Hinduism have a revival. And what does that mean in a country like that? It means they start to abuse our brothers and sisters. Some may say sacrificial. I will not be outgiven in my life towards the ministry to somebody in India. I will give as much as they are right now in Jesus' name. I said, did you hear me today? I'm going to give us just as much because Jesus said we both have to carry the cross. Is there different crosses of Jesus, brothers? No, we always say it like carry the cross, but we don't think about that. The cross is where they crucified Jesus. So just because as we show you this video, just because we're not in this situation right now doesn't mean we couldn't be. I had people in this church during the time of COVID and BLM when we were being uh, rioted against and lied about. I had people in this church leave this church because they feared their reputation. They feared for their own lives. I even had one police officer tell me that was in this church. I work for the mayor, and the mayor's communicating you know, against you, and she's going to shut down your church. She put our church on her Twitter feed at that time, if you all remember. She said, this is not going to be allowed, and she eventually threatened to uh, put uh, chains over our doors. And so this police officer, my wife, is a testimony to this, and to help them in the back, please. Second video, Global Christian Relief Instagram, please. This man said to me, on the phone, God is my witness. You are in a fight with the mayor, and the mayor is my boss. As a policeman, he said the mayor is his what? His boss. The day that they were out there protesting, a man walked in that I had never seen before. He then said to me, I'm a police officer, but I still have to go to church. It doesn't matter if the mayor's my boss. God sifted that other man to bring in the, uh, the next one. Are you listening to me? One, this is what they're going through right now. One man said, the mayor's my boss, so I'm going to compromise. The other one said, you can take my life. I'm not laying it down. Look at them going into this church, throwing chairs, hitting people, beating them up. Mostly women right here trying to say, stop breaking down our church. This is a woman right here saying that it's been increasing in their land, blood all over her hands, and it's going to get worse, so keep following this video, my brothers and sisters. Do you think that they have to lay down their lives and we don't have to lay down ours? One of our preachers in Texas was out preaching. They shot him, and they went to the, the corner the next week and said, you can kill one of us, but you can't kill us all. We're still preaching the gospel, but thank God he recovered. Look at them beating these Christians. You know, sometimes I look at these guys, and I'm like, dear Lord, I don't know if I'm that sanctified. Let me get about 10 of you right now with that stick. Come on, how many of you feel compassion for them, though? How many of you would let somebody throw a chair at you in this church right now? Come on. They don't have any rights there, though. See, we have rights here. We can conceal carry. We can have security. They don't have any rights. This is called passive, this is called passive resistance. It's like in the time of the South. There's nothing they can do to overcome that government. They have to take these beatings so that compassion will come from the righteous among them. They are suffering for Jesus. And do you think today that we're going to let up because they don't like us? Brothers and sisters, Christianity costs Jesus everything. It's going to cost you everything. Do not be afraid of those who can only kill your body, but fear the one who can cast both body and soul into hell. That's what Jesus said. But what did he also go on to say? I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you to the ends of the earth. He is with our brothers. He is with our sisters. They belong to us. And as we come off of that video, back to our points, please. When I go there and I speak with them, I tell them this all the time. You may not know us. You may not have heard about us, but Metro Praise is praying for you. We are lifting you up in our prayers. I can't wait till we get to heaven one day.
the marriage supper of the Lamb, before we come down and rule and reign with Christ, we'll be up there while they're being tormented and, and judged on the earth. Has anybody ever gone to medieval times? You ever been eating a little chicken while those two dudes out there are fighting by sword? They're dying out there, and you're just like, man, pass me some of that uh, hot sauce, man. Let me just hook this up real quick. That's what we're going to be doing. We're going, mm, that angel just blew up Tokyo. All right. Mm-hmm. Just pass me that, that food over there. Woo, that, that beast is crazy. Look at that one. I am so glad I am not there. I am telling you, in heaven, their judgment is going to be our reality show. You all tracking with me right here. Get with it, friends. The Bible says we will be looking at it and we will be rejoicing. We will be rejoicing in their judgment. How many know I've read those scriptures before? It's scary to the world because they think we're going to be crying for them. No, when we're in heaven, now we're rejoicing. You're the Packers, we're the Bears. Come on, somebody. We're now rejoicing. There's no more any, there's no more like, oh, we wish it would go a different way. No, we want evil to leave the earth starting with you and you and you and you. You had your chance, now it's your judgment. And you're like, what if it's my mom? What if it's, it don't matter who it's going to be down there. You're going to be like, yay, go Jesus. You're going to be like, not today, say. Mama should have went to church. Weep for mom now. Weep for brother now. I'm being serious. Weep for co-worker now. Pray for your friends and community now. For the day of judgment is coming, brothers. So going back to this point of the sacrifice, when we are sitting at that marriage supper of the Lamb, and that young man is sitting next to me, just imagine this, and we're sitting there eating. I go, oh, what's your name? Oh, my name is Vish- Vishnu. Oh, Vishnu, how are you doing? How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm glad to be in heaven. Okay, that's great. Vishnu, tell me about your life. What did you do? Well, I, I was in India in, in 2024 when they came to burn the building, and we were all running out, and I couldn't get out, and I burned alive in that building, and I'm here for Jesus. This is what I always wanted. This is what I always wanted. He breaks into praise. I'm going to be right there with him. Are you listening? And then he looks at me, and he goes, and what's your name? And what did you do? I don't want to answer back. Uh, well, uh, I got on time for church. I read my Bible every now and then. No, I want to look right back at Vishnu and go, Vishnu, I didn't have to run out of a burning building, but I had to go to the west side and preach the gospel. I had to go to Belmont and Clark, and I stood out there when they spit on me and my friends. I was there when they tried to take the speaker and throw it at TJ and so forth. I, I, Vishnu, they didn't like me either, but worthy is the lamb, Vishnu. Worthy is the lamb. I'm so glad that I'm here. I didn't love my life just to keep it from death. I laid it down. Your journey was different than mine, but we both gave it all to Jesus, to him be the glory. Amen. Halfway through the message, keyboardist is coming. You know what time it is. Love you, man of God. He's inspired by the Spirit. We got to help Pastor land the plane. Slow music is us landing the plane. Everybody put on your seatbelts now. Get ready to land as the soft music plays. Five more points to go, but he's right on time. Somebody say dedicated. We're dedicated to our spiritual growth and accountability. I had a great young man. He's still a part of this church, and I don't blame him for it. He said, why is it you ask us to sign stuff when we start your discipleship? I said, I'll just ask, answer that question with the question. You have a great job. He said, yep. And I said, why did your HR ask you to sign stuff when you went to work there? Oh, because they wanted to make sure that I understood the code of conduct, that I would uh, follow by the rules, and that I would be a man of integrity on that job because I'm responsible for big projects. And I go, for the same exact reason. You're, you're responsible in this church for stuff. You're responsible to be who God called you to be. 
If you don't want to be dedicated to what we're doing here and sign stuff, and we don't ask for your social security. We don't ask you to do anything cultish. It's just literally, do I want to live for Jesus? Yes, I do. Here's my name. Now hold me accountable to that. Can I hear an amen? You can't even get a trainer to get you to do anything without signing something today. We cover our bases here in Jesus' name because we've already been through that. I didn't know this, and I didn't know that. We're going to ask you. Let me just pause real quick. I was a part of a church that they asked me to help this young lady, okay? And I went over there, and the mom and dad were there, okay? And it was a mixed marriage, so the dad wasn't the birth dad. How many know what I'm talking about? This is typical, what we go through now. I was there talking to the young lady, and within like a first few minutes, and I was like, and are you having sex with your boyfriend then? This girl jumped up, screamed in my face, ran to her room, called her real daddy, stayed in that room until daddy came and opened the door. And I almost got in a fight with that dude because he got this close to my face saying, don't you blankety blank ever ask my daughter that I don't ask my daughter. Are you all listening to me? I wish there would have been half a person with courage in there to have stood up for me, but not my pastor, not the family. Nobody stood up for me. You don't ask people that question. And this is real simple here. You don't want us asking that, then don't come here. We are in your business here. Your business is my business. Now, where we separate the line between meddling is we're not going to tell you how to do your business, but we want to know you're living for Jesus. And let's just talk about it real quick. If you really don't like this, how easy is it for you to find another church that ain't about your business? Oh, it's going to be so hard, Pastor, finding a church that actually doesn't care about my business. No, you will find 10 right here. You can just ask him, do you care about my business? No, we don't. Are you going to ask me to sign an accountability agreement? Of course not. Our pastor don't even sign one with us. I had a man of God. He had been in the ministry for almost 30 years. We met a lot of people during that COVID time. I had a man of God after we did our giving report, and he said to me, he said, I, because his church was shut down, he said, I'm on the committee of the board for a church for the last five years. I haven't even gotten half of what you just told your whole church. Somebody say, God have mercy. We're dedicated to spiritual accountability here. The Bible says confess your sins one to another. If you don't want to confess sins one to another, then go somewhere else. I don't mean that to be rude, like I don't like you, go somewhere else. I just mean like that's part of Christianity. Are you sinning, brother or sister? If you are, how can I pray for you? Here's the agreement we make with you in that same document. We don't put your sins on Facebook. We don't talk about it like Dr. Phil. We don't embarrass you. We keep it between us. And if we ever don't, then you come to us and rebuke us for being gossipers. Amen? But your accountability partner is not supposed to be like, oh, my goodness, this person did this, this, and that. Now, if you're about ready to hurt somebody, we're going to be intervening into that situation. And we'll do it with your best interest as well. But listen, brothers and sisters, to be a part of a church, you got to be accountable. On your job, you're accountable for customer service. How many know my wife's gynecologist has to be accountable? Oh, it got quiet when I talked like that. <laughs> I have one sister going, oh, yeah. How many are like, yay, gynecologists, be accountable? Did, do guys even know what an, a gynecologist is? One dude does. I'm looking at these young men right here. Do you even know what a gynecologist is, young men? Don't lie. It's okay. A gynecologist is a, is a doctor who checks women's parts. Okay. Yeah. Let's check men out. How many know that dude's got to be accountable? That's what he does for a living is check out women parts. How many know when my wife gets back from that visit, I'm checking on him? These guys looking at me, they don't understand. 
Do you, yeah, get him a mic. Do you think, you think I'm going to send my wife to a gynecologist and just let that be cool? I'm asking my wife, how did no. that go with that dude? That's right. We, I'm not going to get dirty here, but I'm just saying, I'm not going to allow that guy to take advantage of my wife. And my wife, this is what she said to me so humbly. Oh, they're doctors. They would never do that. I'm like, oh, yes, they would. As long as a doctor is a sinner, there is a potential for that. Just like some of us came from a generation where you don't, you don't talk back to police officers. But how many know if you're not breaking the law, you better stand up for yourself? But if you are breaking the law, then you better listen to a police officer. Can I hear an amen? But I'm telling you, I don't trust anybody like that. you touching my wife like that. you you checking on my wife. I'm going to check on you. You're a teacher. I'm going to check on you. I live in a world where everybody has to be accountable on their job, and yet you tell me in church you don't want to be accountable. What nonsense is that? You go to your, how many know there's trainers that ask you to keep calorie counting apps? How many know if you said back to your trainer, well, that's personal. That's personal. How many know that trainer is going to say, okay, why don't you personally find another personal trainer then? Okay, but how many know, just this, oh, I always got to say this because somebody thinks in their mind, well, I'm going to tell them they're my, my business and then they're going to write a book about me and they're going to put me on Facebook. That has never happened in the entire history of our church. The most that we have ever been accused of is that people didn't like that sometimes the accountability partner would talk to their pastor about their problems. So we had to put that also in writing that you sign that the accountability partner may seek advice from one of the pastors. Can I hear an amen to that? Because how many know our leaders, and we have over 50 of them, may not have experience in your situation, but have to go get counsel. And doesn't the Bible say in the counsel of many there is wisdom? Amen. And so sometimes when people were cheating on their husband and spouse, you know, this type of stuff, and it would be, you know, accountable, then they would tell the, the leader, and we're like, oh, we got to let the other spouse now know, uh, know this now. How I many know that's a good thing? And then they all get mad at us. Hey, you told my business. Well, that, that's part of your accountability. I didn't think you were just wanting to be accountable just to say a bunch of nonsense. I thought that when you confessed to us that you were having an affair, you would want us to help you to tell that to your husband or wife to reconcile that. Can I hear an amen? But yet, once again, could you imagine that on the job? You know, well, so-and-so's stealing. Who? I can't say. It's an unmentioned person here stealing. You better tell me who's stealing or we're going to fire you and that person. Can I hear an amen to that common sense in the church? Last, uh, getting to the last ones here, humble. How many know we got to be humble? Serve without recognition. The Bible says that the greatest title that we can ever have is a child of God. And what are children of God? They're servants of the Lord. I've said to my daughter, and she's right back there. She's helping me trade stocks. My other one has helped me do the t-shirts that we do. And I say to them, you may never do this. You may not even like this, but you're learning your father's business. You're learning how to be exposed to different things. And if you stay humble, you'll find what you're good at in life. And it's the same thing as being a servant of God. You may not understand everything God has you serving in. I've served in ministries that I'm not in any. But God had me there for a time just to be exposed to it, just to understand it. And so now I'm glad that I've been a part of worship bands because I understand worship bands. I'm glad that I've been a part of greeting teams because I understand greeting teams. No matter what I do, I'm going to be humble. And then you've got to be eager. Those who are always being pushed don't have any motivation of their own self. And that means you're always going to have to keep pushing them. So I teach people in all areas of life, whatever you want to be successful in, you have to go out and have your passion 
go out there in the world and get it. Like right now, I have to have passion for my wife. If I was in marriage counseling and they say, okay, take your wife out for a date, date your mate. And let me just tell you something, it gets better as kids get older, hallelujah, because we got babysitters in the house now. We went out last week for lunch in the middle of the day. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Woo! I'm like, you watch this one and you watch this one, you know? And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Felt so good. So we were out there having our day. But here's the thing. Nobody had to tell me to do that. But if I was in marriage counseling, they kept saying, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And I'm not doing it. At some point, they have to say, do you even love her? Listen, nobody's making you work your job tomorrow. If you're on that job, be eager to do a good job. It's just that simple. You don't want to be on that job? Give them your two weeks and find one you can be eager for. Be, think about this, be on that job like you would want somebody to work for you if you were the entrepreneur. If there was 100 more people like you on that job, would that place be amazing or worse or, 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 or not so good? I had a pastor say that to me one day, and I never forgot it because I was having a bad attitude. I was in Bible college, and he said, listen, you want to be a preacher. You want to go do great things for God, but you're giving me all this trouble here. What do you think is going to happen when you start a church? You want 100 to act like you right now, 100 more and multiply? And I said, oh, God, no. I'm giving you too much trouble. I'm serious. I repented to him. I said, I thought I was helping, but I am sorry. If I'm not helping, you tell me how I can help. And then God told me like this. When you help people and you serve them, I take care of your business. When you take care of their business and you help them, I take care of your business. You look at those in the Bible when they served, even the ungodly. Even, and I'm not talking about an ungodly cause. I'm just saying sometimes you have to work for the ungodly. Can I hear an amen to that? Sometimes you're in Babylon, man, and you have to do Babylonian things, man. You're in Babylon. Where are we at right now? Babylon. And in Babylon, you have to do these things. But you guard your heart and your testimony. Even if you're working for the wicked, somebody say, be hungry. I love when I get with these traders and these different things, and they go, we're going to eat today. We're going to eat today. And everybody's all hyped. Let's go. You got to get hungry for success. Now, some of you all are happy being mediocre, but ask yourself this. Can you get all that you have from this world and what God wants you to use it for being mediocre? I don't think you can. So even though you might say, man, like, I'm, I'm a good guy on my job and I'm happy in my place. But ask yourself, could you use more resources to give it out? Even if you don't want the bonus, what about that bonus supplying the need in the Philippines? We're going to be talking about our plan for our mission budget. But brothers and sisters, we're going to be starting churches with Pastor Ray in the Philippines. Metro praises in the Philippines. Are you all ready for this? I'm saying if you don't want the $2 and extra bonus, but you can do it, would you do it and give that two extra dollars to the missions? And then some of you are like, oh, I know I would spend that $2. Okay, give a dollar extra to God and then keep that dollar. You get my point? Have a desire for success. And then lastly, be trustworthy. The Bible talks about that there's going to come a time where he's going to look over our lives and say that which we've been faithful with, maybe even the little, he's going to give it to us to have much. And so this is the way I look at it right now. The reason why I may not have much is because I'm still learning to be faithful with what I have. So that's why I don't hate on other pastors who have more. Maybe they've gone through journeys that I don't understand. Also, I look at a lot of the pastors that I admire who are successful. They come from their great-granddaddy to their granddaddy to their daddy. Now, they're fourth, fifth-generation pastors. How many know what I'm talking about? They've been in it for a while, and they had to pay a price. And so sometimes when I meet those pastors, even like Pastor Rosario down there at Maranatha, and I love those, those brothers over there, I said, man, as you tell me your story, it's, it's not that you and I, because him and I were like the same age. I said, it's not like our stories are the same. It's like me and your dad's story is the same. 
Because your dad had to start with nothing. Your dad had to go to that storefront. Your dad had to do everything in the ministry. Now you've come up in a ministry with hundreds of people and a building and all of that. I said, I want my son to be like you. Can I hear an amen to that? So you have to be the one that's trustworthy to start that generational blessing. Maybe you're the first one to go hard for God. Maybe you're the first one on your job to really have those ideas. They don't trust you yet. But if you're going to be faithful with that little, they'll give you more. I'm thinking about that story of the guy who came up with Takis or the flavor, uh, no, no, hot chips. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about on Netflix? And I'm just so inspired. But I make my kids watch those stories. Man, I think we've watched like 10 in the last six months. The one we just watched yesterday was a guy that uh, he had a dis- disability, but he wanted to be a baseball player. And had tears coming down my eyes. Man, I kept crying through that thing. I said, I, I, and then, then they had the grandma crying. I don't mean to give a spoiler here. But I said, oh, don't have grandma cry. I just got done crying. And then grandma, man, they were Christians too. And grandma looks at him and goes, Ricky, you just take that bat and you, you use it like David's slingshot and you take out Goliath, Ricky. Oh, tears just streaming down my face. I'm like grandma preaching on her deathbed. I know, man, gets me every time. But I was watching this guy come up with hot chips. And if you watch that story, you know what I'm talking about. Nobody's believing in him. But you know what he was? He was a faithful worker on his job. That's why eventually somebody took notice because they're like, this guy has been here for years. This guy has been putting in his time. This man is trustworthy. Let's give him a shot. Now, I'm not saying waste time. I'm just saying sometimes, especially in this generation, we quit before our breakthrough. As I told that story about Harlem Place Furniture, my wife and I were getting new furniture, and I went in, and I, and I met this young man, and he was just nicely dressed and sharp, man, and, and he was helping me out, and he, and he had everything that, that he knew about this stuff down pat, but there was a problem. He didn't have what I needed. Somebody say, next time. So I gave him my word. I took his card. Now, don't lie to anybody. If you take their card and say you're coming back, can I hear an amen from Christians here? I took his card. I said, bro, I'm going to be back, and I'm going to ask for you. And you're the one that's going to get the sale. You're the one that's going to get it. I come back, and then I, I, I ask, is this young man here? And they go, oh, no. He quit about a week or two after you came by. I go, oh, man, why did he quit? Because he wasn't getting enough business. I said, if you would have held on. See, a lot of people are in sales. A lot of people are in those businesses like real estate, and they're looking at this one over here and that one over here that has all these clients, and they don't understand. you got to stick with it. you got to keep with it. Are you listening to me, brothers and sisters? Sometimes we're too quick to want to move on to the next thing. We come from generations that held that same job for 20, 30 years. Most people now don't even keep a relationship for 10, 20, 30 years. I have friends that are already on their third marriage, and they're only in their 40s like me. Brothers and sisters, God is asking us to be trustworthy. We got to be the kind of people that's like, hey, man, I'm still here. Are oh, you going to give me your business? Because I can only imagine how many other people he had that started to know his name. So that's how it started to snowball for the other guy, right? Because guys have been there for 20 years. They're making their checks every week, right? But how is he going to make his check? He needs somebody like me. That's my furniture guy. How many got a guy for something? I, I'm, I'm just still old school. I got my, you know, my barber guy. I got my haircut guy. They're actually ladies. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to be cool right now. I actually don't go to a barber. I go to great clips. But she is awesome. Let me just tell you, that's my gal. That's my gal. That's the one I want. You know what I'm saying? But if she's busy, I will go to the other one. But how many know that you got a person? Even my wife will tell you at Aldi, she had a checkout guy, and it wasn't in the way to, to, to flirt with them. It was to continually to talk with them. How many know what I'm talking about? Oh, come on. And you just keep building that relationship. And what was his name? Gustavo? And he ended up coming to the church for a while. People are waiting to see you be trustworthy. 
Oh, this woman just invited me to church. Well, the person before her asked me to go to a, this thing, and the person before her asked me if I wanted to sell vitamins and this one. But you see something about my wife's consistency week after week got him to say, man, this woman's trustworthy. She comes up here every week and asks me to come to the church. I might as well come. And the Bible says that when we're given those little things, God is watching us so that we can be given much. Be faithful in your Bible study. Be faithful on your job. And I want to see you become the greatest that you can be because as you rise higher, I rise with you as a pastor. And as the church rises, the community rises. Amen? Can we all stand up and give it up for Jesus? You made it. Ten points. Are you willing, committed, faithful, generous, sacrificial, dedicated, humble, eager, trustworthy, and hungry if you are saying, man, oh God, I want to be that today. Band and altar workers, would you come as we close out? God, I want to be all of those things. Maybe you could add 10 more things to the list. This was just for the new year. Lord, help us in the name of Jesus to be all of these things. If your hands are, uh, if you're, if you're that, would you raise your hands with me right now? If you're already these things and you're like me and you want more, would you raise up your hands? If you're not this already, would you raise up your hands and now ask God to make you this? If you're not yet a Christian, come on, ask God to do this in your life. Come on.